uh, please turn off your cell phones. We are in continuing in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And we have been studying David as an example of, of a godly man, uh, how to handle uh, anger, how to handle mistreatment, and how to handle reconciliation. And you know, as we studied this, Saul has been pursuing David for years. He's been pursuing him for years, trying to kill him. And David has been fleeing from place to place. And God has been protecting David. Um, and so now, David comes upon Saul in a cave. Saul comes into a cave by himself. David and his men are at the back of the cave. They see Saul there in the cave. David comes up behind him, cuts off a part of his robe uh, to, show, to show that he could have killed Saul, and now has this one-on-one -on -one confrontation with Saul. His men are saying to David, God has delivered him into your hands. Kill him. He's delivered him into your hands. Uh, and you see often that's how people are who surround you, who don't necessarily have the will of God in their heart. You have to be very careful who you get advice from. Very careful. You want to have godly men in your heart. And yet David knew that that would be a sin, uh, that God had anointed Saul, and that even though Saul had gone against God's will, he was still the anointed of God. David was willing to let God take justice into his hands. Uh, and so we spoke about this issue last week, and, and, and we saw the issue of reconciliation. Is how, how did David handle this, this self? Well, well, there were a series of steps that David did that we talked about. First, he, he took the first step. He spoke out first to Saul. He didn't wait for Saul to come to him. Now that he had Saul, he continued, he went to Saul. And then he humbled himself before Saul. Uh, he, he didn't pull, come from an arrogant position. He didn't excoriate him. Uh, instead, he humbled himself and indicated that, that he still accepted Saul as king. And he honored Saul as king, even though Saul had been a despicable human being. Uh, this is all through the grace of God that said he did this. And then he spoke the absolute truth concerning the situation. He said to Saul, why are you doing this? I've never done anything to harm you. I've always uplifted you. You know that. I've honored you. You're listening to people who are telling you evil. That's not true. And that's an example again to us about what our role is uh, when we come across a situation like this. And then he declared that to the extent that he, he was guilty of, of doing something wrong, that he wanted to honor God and, 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 and exposed his heart to the will of God. And then he committed himself to doing the right thing, not taking his life, but doing the right thing and saying to Saul he would never take his life. Uh, and basically trying to ask God uh, to convict Saul. And finally, David said he placed his, his future in the hand of of the judge of the universe. Whatever would happen, whatever future would, would happen in terms of David, David was willing to let God take care of it. He was not gonna intervene and strike Saul dead. Um, and so we see a clear picture here for us as men of how we are uh, to respond in times of personal hurt. Now there's not a guy in this room who has not been hurt bad. Not one of you have, have escaped that. We have all been hurt bad. Some of you have been hurt bad in personal relationships. 
uh, maybe in marital relationships. Some of you have been hurt bad in business relationships. And I'm sorry to say some of you have been hurt bad in church. Okay? You cover the gamut. That category pretty much covers everything. Now here's the thing. If you continue to lie in a pool of bitterness, you will not advance in the kingdom of God. You hear what I said? You will not advance in the kingdom of God. I didn't say you were going to lose your salvation, because I don't believe that, but you will not advance in the kingdom of God. God will not give you a greater understanding of his will in your life. He will not call you into greater ministry. You will not advance in the walk of your life. You will stay at a very, very elementary level. Why? Because you're a person filled with anger and bitterness. We can't do that as Christians. And so I gave you the clue last week of how to approach that. That if you find that someone has hurt you bad, you need to pray for them. Somebody told me this week that they started to do that and that, that it made an immediate impact in their life. You need to pray for the people who have hurt you. And when you do that, you are assigning their lives to God's will. Effectively what you're saying, God, you take care of this issue for me. I'm not going to inter intervene. I'm not going to interpose my own will. I'm going to let your will take care of it, Father. You do it. You, you be my protector, and I'll pray for them. And I ask you, God, to uplift them, to give them an affirmation of spirit, to convict them, to let them know. And I said to you, don't go this kind of a prayer. Lord, I think you ought to punish them good. <laughs> punish them good. Make something really bad happen to them, God. No, don't go, that's not a good prayer. I mean, seriously, don't go saying that kind of a prayer. That's not a prayer. In New Jersey, we call that a vendetta. Okay? And they're very good at doing that in New Jersey. You know, a, a, a vendetta. Okay? Uh, but, but you see, that's what separates us from the world. We're not like the world. Look, does that mean we're not hurt? Of course you're hurt. Of course you've suffered. But as you ask God to intervene in your life, as you begin this prayer process, God will heal the hurt. And I can tell you frankly that when I did that in my life, uh, to people that hurt me very badly. God lifted me out of that and he refocused my life on what he had for me here in Naples and what he wanted me to do. And I'm convinced that if I wallowed in that anger and bitterness, I would never do what I'm doing today. I wouldn't do it because I'd be focused on that. And God wants to take that focus. So a number of you need to attend to this issue in your life right now. And so as you do this, what I want to say to you right now is this. You need to make the first step in this process. Um, turn to uh, Luke chapter 17. And this all comes out of our study of David in, in uh, Sam, 1 Samuel chapter 24. As David forgave Saul and attempted a reconciliation. And so now we're talking about the, the rule of God God's will in our lives is how we handle this situation. Um, verse 3. Luke 17, verse 3. So watch yourselves, and this is Jesus speaking now. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Oh, Jesus. Oh, 
Are you, for, are you kidding me, God? I can't do this. No, you can't. See, you can't do it on your own. You understand? You can't do it on. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and by the way, you are, you see, he baptized you in the Holy Spirit when you accepted Jesus Christ. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And so you have that in your heart. And we've spoken about this on Sunday. If some of you want to listen to this, I've been doing an ongoing study on the, on, the, on the fruit of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, what you get when the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And, and one of these things that you get with the Holy Spirit is love and forgiveness uh, and, and self-control and patience. How's that for a list of things that most of us are struggling with? It's because the Holy Spirit puts it into your life. So when I read this, and Jesus tells me you have to forgive a guy seven times every time you have to forgive him. Uh, in my humanity, I go, no way. No way. But in my Christian walk with Jesus, as he's given me the Holy Spirit, and as the Holy Spirit wells up in my life, I will, through the grace of God, be able to do it. I won't be able to do it perfectly. I might, you know, I might suffer against the pricks of the Spirit, you know, Lord, I, this guy's getting on my nerves. You understand? But it's the Holy Spirit that fills you and lifts you and gives you the chance to do things. And so there it is, uh, folks. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Forgive him. So there's, there's an example of how God wants us uh, to live. Um, and at the same time, God wants us constantly to be humble, even as the offending party ha has hurt us. That we don't strike out in rage, but that we restrain ourselves. And I told you that, that at one point when I was hurt very badly, very badly, in a church situation, that normally uh, I would have carved people up with my tongue. Look, I spent a lifetime carving people up with my tongue. I could carve you up with my tongue with both hands tied behind my back, all right? You know, it just came naturally to me, all right? And, and so, you know, I had the ability to be able to say the most deadly things that would go right to the heart of something, and yet in that situation, in church, where I'm being eviscerated for something that was wrong, God restrained me from striking back with my tongue. I can't tell you that I actually did it voluntarily. But I was restrained by the Holy Spirit. Can you understand this? It's as if you go, oh, oh, oh. and yet God is saying restrain, restrain. Because once you explode, once you set out those missiles, you can't bring them back. You understand that? You fire off a missile, well done. That was a good line. That was really good. It was both sarcastic and truthful. You nailed them good. You nailed them good, and now that bomb is out there, you see? That bomb is out there, and you can't bring that bomb back. And now innocent people hear that, and then what do they say? That guy's a Christian? That guy's a Christian? In my case, that guy's the church organist. That guy's father's a minister. That guy goes to Bible stuff. Who's that guy? That guy's a fake. That guy's a fraud. Oh, I don't want to be involved with that religion. 
You see all the things that come out of, out of the, the wreckage of our lives when we react to people who have done hurtful things. God wants us to be restrained. And so you see this lesson of David. This is a really important lesson. If a guy who is being pursued in terms of his life being taken away from him for years, who did nothing wrong, and when the offending party is now next to him and he could strike him dead, and you know that David was a valiant warrior, you saw what he did with Goliath. You have any doubt in your mind that he wouldn't kill him? All right? And yet he, he, he restrained himself. He pulled himself back. He didn't do it because he understood that it would violate God's will. Violate, violate God's will. Turn also to Ephesians chapter 4. And this is why God teaches us the entire Bible, even though we study the Old Testament. This is the point of understanding that it's one Bible. And so now we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, and I want you to look at verse 32. Verse 31. All right? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. I want, I want you to underline that. Get rid of all bitterness, anger, and rage. There's nothing good that will come in your Christian walk if you continue to dwell in a pool of bitterness, anger, and rage. Nothing. And I have to say that I, I know a lot of Christians who are still angry. They're angry. Now, if you ask them, what are you angry about? They can't give you an answer. A lot of them are angry about their parents. They could be 80 years old. They're reflecting back about issues that when they were raised. Hey, folks, it's over. Your mother and father are gone. Move on, all right? You're closer to the grave than you are to any place else. Are you going to continue to dwell in this pool of bitterness and anger and resentment because you have some issue about the way you were raised? Get over it. Get over it because God wants you to get over it. Now look at this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, um, uh, and anger, brawling, and slander. And er, along with every form of malice. I love that. Slander and malice. How many times in a week do you slander somebody? Well, I, Brother John, I really wouldn't call it slander. Uh, I, just, I think I'm just uh, reacting honestly to what I see as a character issue in other people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You sound like a lawyer now. I mean, that's good. You've really positioned that well. You're, you're responding to character issues in other people. You're slandering people. Better to keep your mouth shut. You understand? Better to keep... And frankly, I am amazed at how much of this comes out of the church parking lot. Am I the only one that sees this stuff? Really? I have to catch myself sometime. Really? As I'm driving home from church, and something will happen, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll say... Boy, can you believe, and then, Lord, stop me. Filter me. You understand? This is exactly what goes on. That's the human being. It's the flesh. It's the old man, the old carnal nature. There it is, rearing its ugly head. Yes, you're saved. I'm, I'm constantly going to repeat that phrase. I'm not going to tell you you're not saved. You're saved. God sealed you with the Holy Spirit. But most of us have spent a lifetime tightening it down. Tighten it down, all right? Yes, there's been all kinds of leakage in our life. We would, we've never asked to be refilled, and this is what happens. You see that spirit of anger, bitterness, rage, 
I'm amazed when I see guys. I mean, I knew them. I had people in my own family. I had some people in my own family when I would, would go up north uh, for the week that I'd be up there. They would come to me, ask me to pray for them. And I would pray for them. And then, and then I would hear some slanderous remarks. They would say about me. They would actually say about me after I prayed for them. Relatives of mine. I know you're looking at me saying, what kind of family did you come from? <laughs> I came from the same kind of family you came from. All right? All right? And I know, and I'm going to tell you something else. The Bible tells us that when we get to heaven, we will be with our own people. What does that mean? That may not be a pleasant sight for some of us, huh? <laughs> be with our own people, Jesus. You mean possibly my relative? Mm, quite possibly, yes. But the grace of God, you see, when you get to heaven is that you're going to be glorified. The old nature will be taken away. You know, all these issues. But I'm telling you that, that even people who supposedly are Christians, oh, even as they ask you to pray for you, can still say something slanderous about you. That's the old man. That's how Satan wants. And you see, when you have that, and you allow that nature to stay in your life, you will not advance. This is all coming out of the lesson of David with Saul. Forgiveness, 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 and reconciliation. And you see it. And there in that 32nd, form of, 32nd verse there in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. How many times... In a day, do you realize the enormity of what God forgave you? That he forgave you and gave you Jesus. Do you actually continue to reflect on that? What it meant for God to bankrupt heaven? What it meant for God to send Jesus Christ, his own son, and to allow his son to be not only repudiated, but to be murdered in the most vile way, in the most cruel type of death on a cross. And yet God allowed that to happen. Why? Because he loved you. He cared for you. He forgave you. And so if God could forgive you in that vein, why can't you forgive some dumb relative? Or some spouse? Or some member of the business community? Or even, shall I say it, somebody in the church? All right? You realize this? If God forgave you in that way, what's your responsibility to forgive? Get over it. Get over it. You have to reflect on that. And if you reflect on that sense of what God did and constantly communicate with him, and this is why I say that we need to pray a hundred times a day. And as I told you that, that means a constant means of communication. Lord, I'm speaking with you. Lord, I need you in my life. I told you you don't need a prayer shawl. You don't, go into a, you don't have to go into a closet. You don't have to turn the heat down. You don't have to turn the lights off. And if you need to do that, that's okay. That's all right. But you can do it in your car. You can do it while you're walking. And I hope you're doing it right now. I pray that as I'm speaking to you, each one of you is speaking to God right now and asking God, God, please confirm what he's saying in my life. God, speak to me about the issue that I have in my life. Lord, you know what I have in my life. Lord, please help me to attend to this. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the grace to be able to address these issues. And he will. And he'll do it right here, even while he's speaking to you right now. He'll do it. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter uh, 18. 
Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Of course, you know that's the human nature. Lord, I need some guidance. Can you give me a number? Because as soon as he hits that number, I'm not forgiving him after that. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, you know what this is. You know, this is like, you know, I, the ultimate legalist. How many, Jesus? Is it seven? Because I'll, I'll go seven. I won't go eight. But I'll go seven, and Jesus then says, I tell you, not seven, not seven times, but 77 times. Oh, are you kidding me, Jesus? 70 times seven? And what that meant was infinity. While you're in this world, infinity, you continue to forgive. You leave the reckoning to God. Oh, does he think God's big enough to take care of that issue in your life? Or is he not big enough? Maybe you've made God puny. See, some of us have made God like this big. Yeah, see, when God's this big, he probably can't fight that battle. But if you realize the, the enormity of who God is, the sovereignty of God, when you recognize it, then you understand, oh, yeah, God can do it. God can do it. I know he can do it. Uh, I know he has, has the thing. And sometimes, for some of us, we need to confess our own guilt in a situation. Uh, and we need to do that. Uh, and so uh, sometimes we need to ask for forgiveness. We need to say to somebody, please forgive me. When I had this situation that I went through, uh, I said uh, to the people that were involved in this, I said, if I've done anything, anything to offend you, please forgive me. No, 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 you haven't. No, I said I must have done something. No, no, I wasn't going to let it go. No, I'm sure that somehow I have offended you. He goes, well, I knew we were getting it now. Well, you are a very arrogant man. Even the way you walk into church carrying your Bible. Even the way I walk into church carrying my Bible. Yes, you're arrogant. I, I almost wondered if it was like this. I'm going like this in church. <laughs> as I'm walking down the aisle in church. Do you see how people can be so messed up in their minds? And malice gets into their heart. How evil gets into their heart. But you have to separate yourself from this. So instead of dwelling on the past and saying these people are evil... I hope everything that they do collapses on them. You need to start praying for them. Lord, help them. Intervene in their lives. Give them a chance to see what they're doing, God. Intervene. We must extend absolute forgiveness. And I know there are people in this group right now who have ongoing issues of bitterness. I want you to know something. And one of the things that God has delivered me from is I can say to you right now, through, through the grace of God, I have no bitterness in my heart as to anybody in this world. It's gone. It's over. Did I have it? Oh, yeah, I had it. You understand? I had it in big doses. Okay? But God has delivered me of it. And he'll deliver you too. This is what he wants to do. And you see this picture of David. Uh, and it's, it's so incredible. And so now I, I want to read, I want you to read this parable that Jesus gave in Matthew 18. Verse 23, and this is one of the great pictures that Jesus has given us about understanding forgiveness. What is forgiveness is about? How great is forgiveness? And in this story, you're going to see a man, all right, 
a slave, it'll say here, uh, who owed the master 10,000 talents. Now, one of the things about Jesus is that Jesus was a very, very comedic person. Jesus had a sense of when he told stories of exaggerating in the story in order to make the point. A lot of people don't realize this about Jesus, but Jesus uh, was a very enthralling public speaker, and the reason that he was doing it is that he used exaggeration to make the point. And the point that he used here was a man owed 10,000 talents. Now, as I've studied this issue, I've learned that the highest number that you had in that period of time in the Middle East was 10,000. There was no number higher than 10,000. Just to give you an idea of what 10,000 was uh, equivalent to, the annual income of Herod the king in order to run the entire government, Herod, was 900 talents a year. You got that? 900 talents a year ran the government of Herod during that period of time. This guy owes 10,000. Okay? So he owes 10,000 multiple times over the, over the annual government of Herod. Now you get a picture of this story. So anybody who heard this story when Jesus said this would fall down laughing because they'd recognize nobody could pay that off. Nobody could pay it off. Well, Jesus is making the point, and when Jesus says, you better listen. So, uh, Jesus answered, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold in order to repay the debt. That was typical during that time. If you owed a debt, not only did you go into jail, but your whole family was, was basically destroyed. Everything that you had was wiped out. Now this is important because God is demonstrating, Jesus is demonstrating what it meant for God to forgive you. All right? Your debt to God was equivalent to 10,000 talents. Your debt to God as you were in open, notorious revolt, never able to bridge that gulf between here and there, is equivalent to 10,000 talents. And God forgave you. And so here you have this, this story here where this man with 10,000 could not pay and he's now jailed. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt, and let him go. Whoa, what a spirit of forgiveness is that? He let him go. He let him go. Now, Jesus is telling a story because Jesus wants you to see what happens. Did you appreciate that? Did you have a spirit of forgiveness yourself? Did you understand what it took to be forgiven? And now in verse 28, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. This is a veritable pittance. A hundred denarii is a veritable pittance. It's like a couple days worth of work. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. 
But he refused instead. He went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa. Did you ever read it like that before? I don't think so. I don't think so. All right? So Jesus is telling you that God is looking at how you extend forgiveness in your life. He has forgiven you 10,000 talents. He's forgiven that for you. He's given you life eternal. You're going to be in heaven with him. And now he wants to see how you go through this world and forgive a couple of denarii here, a couple of denarii there. Oh, but I've been hurt bad. Yes, you've been hurt bad. But was it 10,000 talents worth? Was it life eternal? And you understand that Jesus is saying that God is looking at this and God is going to judge you. Now, let me make this clear theologically. This does not mean that you are losing your salvation. Okay, let's get that straight. You're not losing your salvation. But what it does mean is this. Each of us, when we die as Christians, will face Jesus. We will face Jesus. And Jesus will effectively run the videotape of our lives. And Jesus will discuss with us how we carried the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world, how we integrated this gospel with others, how we acted in accordance with his will, and he will dispense rewards in accordance and responsibilities in accordance with that videotape. And I told you that one of the saddest moments in my life is when I reflected on this, uh, and, I, and, and as I did that, I could see Jesus running the videotape of my life and saying to me, oh, John, oh, I had such great plans for you. Oh, God, you had such great plans for me, Father. You had such great plans for me. But instead, I did my own thing. I didn't give forgive. I thought I had to dispense justice, Lord. I didn't rely on your will. Yes, I'm saved, but I, you had great plans for me, Father. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I didn't do what, what you wanted, and, and yet I can see Jesus saying to me, but did you, tell, did you tell the men? Did you tell the men that this was what my will was in their life? And I want to be able to say, oh, yes, Jesus, I told them. I told them, because this is what he judges us on. This is a big deal. I don't know if there's another deal as big in the life of men as we, as we go through uh, Bible study than this issue of forgiveness and this issue of bitterness and anger. We are just naturally angry people. We don't even know why we're angry. Who knows some perceived thing back in the primordial ooze of our lives has somehow gifted, lifted its head and we're angry about it, can't even articulate it, and yet God says, forgive, forgive, forgive. Seven times, Peter? Seven? 
Seven? I can do seven. No, you're not going to do seven. You're going to do 70 times seven. What a story this is to me. Uh, and this resonates so deeply with me as I study the issue of David. And one of the things that I really see God blessing David is that he had this heart for God. Yes, David had awful warts. We know what's going to happen with Bathsheba. You know how awful that story is going to be. That not only will he have an adulterous relationship with her, uh, not only will he father an illegitimate child, but he will make sure that her husband will be killed because he'll send him into the hottest part of a battle in order to die, effectively murdering him. This is David. This is the guy who, who the Lord will bring the lineage of Jesus through. Yes, because David asked for forgiveness. Because David had a heart of God. Even when he made these mistakes, his heart burned and was burdened. You see this in this story as we're reading here in chapter 24. As he cut off a part of the robe of Saul. That even then he was convicted that he had done that. That in some way he was, he was undermining the kingdom of God. And not honestly, not honoring what God had done. And so you see this picture here of David. And this picture of forgiveness. I am overwhelmed by what this, this picture shows me. And when I think of my own life and the issues that I've had in terms of bitterness, anger, and lack of forgiveness, my face goes in the dust. And I hope that's what you're, you're struggling with right now. I hope that even as I, these words are coming from, you, from me, you are asking God to intervene in your life, to give you this spirit of forgiveness, to ask, to ask for this. And so you see here, you see how, how David did this. And now, now you, I, it's interesting as we look at, go back to uh, Samuel chapter 24, 1 Samuel 24. And now you're going to see Saul's response to this. Um, and it's pretty interesting as we do this. When David, verse uh, 16, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. Now let me talk about that weeping. That was not a weeping of conviction by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and sometimes we have to be careful that that's when you see certain people all of a sudden respond in some way uh, to a, a recognition of some fault in their life, that's not always the conviction of God. Sometimes it's human sentimentality. It's the fact that I have been caught. You understand the difference? I have been caught. It's not the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, all right? And so he says here, um, when David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. Come on, Saul. You didn't know that before? Uh, and, and you have just told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. How about that? Well, if you know that he's going to be king, then why stop this, this pursuit of him and, and begin to reestablish that kingdom. Why not try to get right with the hand of God? And the reason he did not is that he, he went away from God. He shut God down. He was no longer letting God lead, lead him. And so, yes, his mouth sounded right. The words sounded right. But his heart was evil. All right? His heart was evil. 
He could not abide by, by the will of God. I know that you will surely be king and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. Isn't that an interesting thing to say? There he is, recognizing that God will raise up David, that David will be king, that David will be the anointed from God. And now what does he say? Instead of saying, oh, let, let me be a part of this, let me step back, you need to go forward, God has walked away from me. Now, by the way, will you please make sure that my descendants are taken care of? Will you make a covenant with me that my descendants will be taken care of? And the reason he said that, because in those days, when one king was de deposed by another, his family would be wiped out. His family would be wiped out. But David did just the opposite. And I gave you the example of Mephibosheth, uh, who, that crippled boy who was a child of Saul, uh, who, go, who David allowed to sit at the table of the king and continued to take care of him uh, his whole life. He did not put the sins of the father on Saul. And that's important to see how David acted. Um, and so David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the, went up to the stronghold. So here's the, the point, folks. Does that mean that Saul's done? He's changing his life he will no longer pursue David. Bzz, wrong answer. Wrong answer. You got that? Wrong answer. You're going to see that. He will continue to pursue him. He will continue to go after him. He will continue to try to destroy him. Um, and, and when I read this, uh, there's a verse that comes out uh, in my mind. It's Mark chapter 14. Take a look at that. It's a famous verse. This is in verse 37. Then he returned to his disciples. This is on Gethsemane. He returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said, Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? He asked them to stay up with him. It's Gethsemane. He wanted them to pray for them. Could you not keep watch for one hour? Verse 38. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The body is weak. Underline it. Your body is weak. Don't ever think, don't ever think that your body is strong, that you can fight off these, these uh, temptations. You cannot. You cannot. And so God is teaching us this. And so this is the importance of this, of this lesson. Uh, and, and turn again to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 23, and this speaks about Jesus now. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What a great picture that is, isn't it? Isn't that it? He didn't retaliate. He could have called down a legion of angels. He didn't do it. He allowed them to arrest him. He didn't fight back. He submitted himself to the will of God. He let God handle his affairs. God was his defense in every way. And now look, as we bring this to a close, in terms of understanding this, this unit, look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. 
For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow, what a powerful verse is that, huh? You want to have over, be able to overcome the issues in your life? You overcome evil with good. You pray for those who have hurt you. You don't retaliate. You forgive. You live that life of forgiveness. And when you do that, God fights your battles. Um, and, and I often know, I often laugh when I hear in movies from time to time, somebody will cite the verse, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And then they take out a gun and they shoot somebody. Right? <laughs> That's right, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I'm the Lord's avenger. Right? No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Vengeance is in the Lord's hands. Justice is in God's hands. Not in your hands. Yes, you've been hurt. Yes, you've been hurt. But the only way to get over that hurt is to pray for those who have hurt you. There's no other way. I can't tell you. This is, I'm giving you a lifetime of, of, of spiritual growth in my own life. The only way I was able to leave the pain that I had was when I began to pray for those who had hurt me. No other way. It's when God did that, when he gave me that wisdom and then gave me the grace. And by the way, I know what you're saying. You, I don't know how you could do that. You could do that through the Holy Spirit. It's when God raises up the Holy Spirit within you that you will do things in terms of love and self-control and patience and forgiveness that is not a human quality. Don't think you're going to go read Norman Vincent Peale, How to Forgive, How to Have a More Productive Christian Life. Forget it! There's no human ability to do this. It is only when the character of God invests himself in your life through the Holy Spirit that your life will change, that you can forgive people that have hurt you, that the bitterness that's in your life right now will walk away, that you will then have a more productive life, that people will see you and mirror the life of Jesus Christ, who will want to be like you, who will want to go to Bible studies with you, who want to go to church with you, who will ask you to pray for, for them. That's when you have that kind of a life. And then when you go and see Jesus on the day that you're called home, when Jesus runs the videotape of your life, he won't say, oh, man, I had such great plans for you, Joe. Instead, you know what he'll say? Oh, well done. Well done, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you for the words that you've given us. Lord, this overwhelming need to understand forgiveness, Father. I don't understand it myself, but through the Holy Spirit, I believe that there are those of us here who are suffering with this issue right now. Father, I ask you to intervene in these lives through the Holy Spirit, pour an extra amount of grace and fill them with hope and love and forgiveness, Lord. We don't want to be like that servant who, when forgiven for 10,000 talents, went out 
and, and, and committed an atrocious act of unforgiveness. Lord, we don't want to live that way. And so we ask you, Lord, to anoint us and change our lives, to give us a perspective, to use David as an example here of, of forgiving Saul, who was a despicable person in every way, and yet David forgave him. Lord, I ask you that this lesson resonate in our life this week, that we continue to study and reflect on it. Uh, and grow in every way. Protect our men and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. Lord Jesus, we put all of this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless.